then to read the impact of gardening. We are perfectly healthy when our physical, mental, and intellectual health are in balance. If just one of these areas has become compromised, then we are going to experience health issues. When this happens, the most important thing is to observe and listen to our bodies and try to determine what is required to restore our health. Furthermore, many people today experience some sort of dilemma in life, whether it be a myriad of choices, self-contradictory actions, or some level of existential crisis. In this session provided to you by Dentsu Reda Impact Academy, Miss Leung Nyok Din shares her stories about discovering the solutions required to help renew our mental health in today's challenging world. Welcome to Dentsu Reda Impact Academy, a non-profit initiative for those who are working in advertising, marketing and education with the goal of connecting a wide range of professionals, experts in many fields, Impact Academy will bring a multi-dimensional worldview, updated critical and profound perspectives, help to evoke inspiration and empathy in each individual about life and the world around us. Dentsu Reda Impact Academy. Wider perspectives, richer souls. Welcome to section 16, Mindful versus a Full Mind, recapped by Edwards Chan. On July 24, 2021, Dentsu Reda Impact Academy held an online session where around 200 people attended to learn about the many different ways to master the mind, boost mental health, understand certain blind spots in psychology, behaviors and habits, resulting in a better understanding of how to love ourselves better. In this recap, Dentsu Reda Impact Academy extracted further information from the highly applicable concepts discussed by Ms. Lung and other reference sources in order to help you gain a more comprehensive view of this topic. Here is section one. Three major fractures, survival awareness, current issues humans face during the COVID-19 pandemic. Point one. This session began with the attendees self-reflecting and identifying their current situation and what is most important to them in life at the moment. Under the guidance of Ms. Lu, step by step, they all found a balanced state of mind, allowing their thoughts and emotions to swirl around and occupy their mind. This was the first step of inner awareness and insight. Most importantly, the first step to practicing mindfulness. Mindfulness simply means being conscious and aware that we are living in the present moment. Or in practical terms, it's paying attention to what we are doing and focusing our thoughts whenever we are distracted. We rarely enjoy the present moment or become aware of the reality in our current situation. Instead, we subconsciously chase after desires and other racing thoughts. Can any of us confidently claim that we fully understand ourselves? Or do we already know what we really want, need, or what we're doing in life, or even the kind of attitude we have? The fact is, most of us are too far away from the state of balance and consciousness that we need to have in today's world. Even before the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
the amount of information we absorb was gradually increasing. And so in this current situation, our brains barely get any rest. Notwithstanding the fact that we fear to face ourselves and the many problems faced in life these days. Instead, we often turn to pleasures and drive ourselves further into distraction just to escape and feel good for a moment. However, it's all very temporary. Point two. It's considered a fact that we are experiencing three major fractures within ourselves. The first fracture involves self-perception. The second involves relationships and connections with the community. The third involves the universe, nature, and the world around us. Indeed, these days we are more and more caught up in the worries and emotions of the outside world, or preoccupations stemming from spiritual wounds, anxiety about our status, personal feelings and reflections about the past, future and overall expectations. We rarely feel our own physical feelings such as hunger, fullness, fatigue, or simply whether we enjoy a glass of wine or that plate of food on the table that looks so delicious. We start to lose connection with our pure thoughts, the sensations of the soul, or importantly our inner voice, and it's simply because we begin to generate voices and thoughts that overwhelm our more pure, true thoughts. As we lose connection with others, we begin to feel that no one understands us, and it's easy to feel unstable, angry, lonely, and even overwhelmed when we need to share or communicate with others in order to recognize things that are similar to and different from ourselves, thereby perceiving ourselves through filtered thoughts. Undoubtedly, we live independently, but without connection with ourselves. We lose connection with the community and the people we consider important to us, those who reflect parts of ourselves and our desire to find our true self. It's at this particular stage that the two fractures will arouse the feeling of not belonging, leading to self-questioning seemingly with no way out. Perhaps this issue results in a third fracture, the disconnection with the universe itself, nature and the world around us. Before the pandemic, we could easily identify the fractures, then re-establish connections through self-experienced activities such as going for a ride, meeting up with friends or something similar. However, when COVID-19 struck, with limited space, many began to suffer a sense of disconnection from those whom they would normally share space or intimacy with. Then, what seems to be desirable and ideal conditions for love and supporting reconnection became a cause for even wider fractures due to the self-defense mechanisms of reason and the fears of being exposed to mental health and the existing fracture and anxiety about judgment and uncertainties. These three fractures exist in most of us, leading us to think that we are unique, yet we are in fact still very unique, and at the same time our actions and thoughts are no longer viewed in multi-dimensions and therefore we are not fully aware of their effects on ourselves, the community and the environment around us. We are in danger of becoming toxic human beings, and our actions will no longer make sense, perhaps even presenting as a danger to others. Point 3. As we experience these specific fractures, we need to become more aware of them. Simply just acknowledging them can make us feel weak and helpless, and cause additional internal suffering. This is the first and most difficult step to overcome when preparing for the healing stage to follow. 
it's also a major step toward awakening our self-awareness, an awareness that stems from and further develops from our knowledge and understanding. More importantly, this kind of awareness, also known as survival situational awareness, can free us from these fractures. At this point, it's important to recall the practice of mindfulness as mentioned earlier. When we practice mindfulness, we become more aware of the emotions and thoughts present in our mind. And although these thoughts come from deep within us, they are still often difficult to control. For example, even when we try not to think, our brain subconsciously continues to process information that can lead to judgments, comments, insecurities, and while also assessing the past, our brains, in some cases, begin looking toward future scenarios that may or may not even happen. Thought patterns such as these can result in losing sight of the present, even reality for some, and shaping certain expectations that may not be real. As a result, the stress and fatigue levels will increase. In contrast, some feel extremely comfortable after a period of intense concentration. This is often because our mind has been entirely focused on a certain task and not dominated or distracted by other thoughts. For instance, when carrying out a task while practicing mindfulness. Practicing mindfulness helps us to improve our perception of intentional thinking in order to purposefully direct the flow of thought. This helps to understand stress and fatigue better in order to achieve mental stability. Additionally, and very importantly, through better mindfulness, we can begin to perceive reality as it really is. We can begin to close the gaps between our thoughts and reality and adjust our overall expectations in order to perceive things more clearly. Mindfulness or consciousness is no easy matter. The older humans get, the more rigid their minds become and it's often difficult to undo many things. Ms. Leung suggests that people often do something unconsciously after a period of conscious and deliberate practice. The body and mind are one system, a system that operates on the basis of certain premises and assumptions based on the interactions with our surrounding environment and with thoughts of both individuality and of a community. So then, how can we be less dependent or less subject to dependencies that we may not be consciously aware of? Well, the answer lies in practicing mindfulness in order to identify our fractures and begin to apply healing. Importantly, to maintain a more grounded mental state in the present moment, as has been discussed by many scholars and philosophers, such as Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle is a spiritual teacher and author. Born and raised in Germany, he describes his childhood as unhappy and one filled with considerable fear and anxiety when he didn't know the purpose of his life or who he really was. This inspired him to set out and discover himself, which also led to him writing a book called The Power of Now. This book was considered a beacon of hope for many who were stuck in a difficult and challenging relationship with themselves and with those around them. It supposedly helped many find an inner peace and return to their roots. In this book, Toll introduces the idea of how to remove animosities, conflicts and fears through mindfulness, so that we can recognize when our mind is truly ours or under control as opposed to wandering, creating undue anxiety and excitement. Similarly, 
If you ever have an opportunity to enroll in the globally famous Search Inside Yourself course or read a book discussing Chade Mengtan's experiences, you may begin to see a path to healing those fractures and realize that the connections between consciousness and mindfulness are the same. Every year, thousands of Google engineers take part in one of the 12 mindfulness and consciousness training sessions to increase their cognitive balance regarding what is going on around them. The most popular course, entitled Search Inside Yourself, has always been a very anticipated and engaging course with a six-month waiting list. This course was initiated by Chade Mengten, a very influential person in Google's culture of the past and someone who has met many famous people. Meng's core message is illuminate your mind, open your heart and create world peace. His book also called Search Inside Yourself has been written based on the experiences drawn from the course and meditation exercises to help apply the same methods without having to join the course. The book is simple, using basic vocabulary and introduces very basic training steps that allegedly helps people control their emotional intelligence, master their own emotions, and thereby becoming the happiest person in the world. I didn't like bringing Buddhism to Google, Meng said. I loved helping people at Google find the key to happiness. The book is divided into three main parts. A. Attention Training Attention is the foundation of all higher emotional and cognitive capacities. Therefore, any emotional intelligence training course has to begin with attention training. The idea here is to exercise attention to create a mind that is both peaceful and clear. Such a mind sets the basis for emotional intelligence. B. Self-knowledge and self-control Use your trained attention to increase your perception of sensory and thinking processes. From this, you can see your thoughts and sensory processes much more clearly, with the same objectivity as from a third-person perspective. In doing so, you will create a kind of insight that you discover yourself and this kind of knowledge that you will ultimately lead to self-mastery. C. Create good habits for the mind. Imagine that whenever you meet someone, the first thought instinctively suggests, like a habit, I want this person to be happy. Having such habits will change everything in the workplace. If it's sincere, good will be unconsciously felt by others and create the kind of trust that leads to highly effective collaborations. Such habits can be trained to become natural. Point four, we shouldn't worry if all of this costs time and effort. Instead of being able to put all your energy into offering benefits and values that most of us want to talk about here, we should also consider the economic values. Professor Ha Vintou, in his book Han Fu La Con Yun, translated as Happiness is the Path, pointed out that if we have self-fulfillment and a connection with dreams, desires and actions stemming from the connection itself and not the fractures, we will create better values that have an impact on the community and the ecosystem around us. According to data from the Ministry of Health, Vietnamese youth have many different problems related to mental health. Despite Vietnam's great economic achievements in the recent years, according to its figures, 26% of secondary school students in Hanoi have mental health problems, 
meaning that one in four students have mental health issues. This further shows us how economic growth comes at the expense of human development. Another important thing Ms. Lung wants to emphasize here is how an economy should be developed. The current economic model that many countries are building is based on a belief that the economy is the ultimate aim and that humans and natural resources are only seen as a means to fulfill that aim. Ms. Lung strongly believes that this is the wrong model. She believes that the most important thing is the overall ecosystem and without it, we won't continue to exist. Human society is just one part of this global ecosystem. And in human societies everywhere, the economical aspect is also just one part. Economy plays an important role, but should be held to its rightful place as just another means of bringing happiness and prosperity to everyone. Ms. Lung also believes that this has a direct bearing on how many people cut ties with their real desires. Many people have illusions and confusion regarding their goals in life, thinking they can just work hard today so that one day they will be happier. However, we have learned from many people that if the path we are on is not made with happiness, we will never achieve that happiness many desire so badly. Simply because, and according to Ms. Lung, there is no path to happiness and that happiness itself is the path. Ms. Lung also believes that people have to return to themselves, look deep inside and take time to listen to themselves. If we do not listen to ourselves, no one else will listen to us. If we cannot connect with ourselves, then we cannot connect with those around us. She suggests that we must connect with ourselves so that we can then connect better with others. However, it's also important that we don't connect through negative, melancholic emotions, just as empathy has no meaning if it's not shared with others. Therefore, she says, if we desire to conquer the world and pursue our ambitions without being broken by waves of reality like COVID-19 or the struggles within our own minds, if we truly want to lead a passionate life and pursue more noble purposes in the right way or simply create greater values without feeling out of breath, overwhelmed, or that we have burned out getting enough from this life, etc., and to follow these suggested paths of happiness and heal the fractures, we should practice mindful listening. Miss Lung reminds us to remember the following mantra, ICSPI, which stands for intention, connection, self-care, purpose, and impact, respectively. Number one, intention means always acting with a strong connection with intention that comes from within oneself, free from external influences or internal and unhealthy urges. 2. Connection means connecting with yourself, with others, with community, with the environment and with the ecosystem to such a degree where all three exist in a healthy connection. 3. Self-care means taking care of oneself, loving oneself and taking time to practice mindfulness and listening to yourself. 4. Purpose refers to the purpose of life and moving towards true happiness and self-fulfillment. 5. Impact means making a positive impact on life for the benefit of all. Part 2. Expanding concepts of mindfulness, meditation, flow and deep work. Point number 5. 
Meditation is one of the most common methods for practicing mindfulness. Meditation is all about focusing your mind on your breathing to identify the thoughts in your mind more clearly, the flow of ideas and emotions that arise, and then to purify them simply by focusing on your breathing and sensory perceptions in the most present moment. For a more in-depth discussion on meditation, look into the summary of Suzuki's essays on Zen Buddhism, where Suzuki writes about the essence of Zen as follows. Zen in its essence is the art of seeing into the nature of one's own being and pointing the way from bondage to freedom. By making one drink right from the fountain of life, it liberates one from all yokes under which finite beings are usually suffering from this world. We could say that Zen liberates all the energy that is naturally stored in each of us, which is, in ordinary circumstances, confined and distorted in a way that one cannot find an adequate channel for activity. Miss Lung states that this body of ours is something like an electric battery in which a mysterious power latently lies. When this power is not properly brought into operation, it either grows moldy and withers away, or becomes warped and expresses itself abnormally. She continues to claim that it's the object of Zen, therefore to save us from going crazy or being mentally crippled. This is what she means by freedom, giving free play to all the creative and benevolent impulses inherently lying in our hearts. It's common knowledge that many prominent people consider meditation as an important factor in determining success. By meditating, few take religious and spiritual factors into account, and mainly practice mindfulness in a simple, disciplined way. This is what opens their minds up to what Miss Lung refers to as a greater sense of self-understanding, and to the habits required to practice or simultaneously let go of the identification and motivating force in order to find their own path to success. When they achieve considerable feats in terms of this mindfulness, their mind can become calm enough to make better decisions with greater clarity and a higher degree of understanding and wisdom from the heart and the mind. Many have heard that the former co-founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, or Yuval Harari, author of the popular science bestsellers Sapiens in 2014, Homo Deus in 2016, and the 21 Lessons for the 21st Century in 2019, also practice mindfulness meditation. For Miss Lung, it demonstrates that our minds are an extraordinary world that can determine our success or failure. The truth is, we do not control our minds as well as we think we do. Point 6. The mind is used to being trained in a superficial and reflexive way, often on a short-term basis rather than long-term. In the highly anticipated book, Thinking Fast and Slow, the author, Kahneman, takes us on a groundbreaking tour of the mind and explains two systems that drive the way we think. System 1 is fast, intuitive and emotional. System 2 is slower, more deliberate and more logical. In a series of experiments, Kamen and Tversky demonstrated that people, on the one hand, often come to decisions by thinking fast rather than slowly. Yet on the other hand, they often think of themselves as rational beings, all thorough and rational when making decisions. However, in Miss Lung's observations, no matter how careful humans are, they can still make decisions in uncertain times and conditions. 
people consequently end up blaming themselves for being too emotional or too rational to analyze a problem in depth and in a multi-dimensional way in order to make important decisions. Perhaps it's because people have not yet understood their own minds better and have not trained it with purpose and thoroughness. However, Miss Lung went on to state that the good news is that when we accept that our mind can be trained and that we can gradually unlearn or let go of bad habits and old ways of thinking, only then will we be able to transform our thinking. Furthermore, she suggests that we will be able to identify emotions like joy, sorrow or anger and get to the roots, thus coming up with an emotional decision yet with clearer and more logical thinking. Training the mind is a very personal process and cannot be easily accomplished. In the beginning, we might be tormented by both old and new systems. At this stage, we need to understand the importance of accepting, practicing resolutely and giving ourselves time to transform. Perhaps we might find ourselves confused at first and take a long time to learn what is right and what is wrong. But by practicing mindfulness, we can focus entirely on practicing and our minds begin to show us how to do it right. Once overcoming disturbances and distractions of the mind, we'll begin to practice illumination over the course of time, cramming many more things into the mind subconsciously, yet consciously distracting the mind as mentioned earlier. There is no easy formula for practicing mindfulness or clearing the mind as well as sitting meditation, closed eye meditation, eye gazing meditation, dynamic meditation, etc. Reading, running, baking, jogging, or even washing the dishes, etc. are also types of mindfulness practice. The important thing, Mr. Leung says, is that when we practice mindfulness, we really want to practice something that we are comfortable with, where we can draw deep into contemplation so that by doing that, we develop a self-fulfillment and less obstacles while in training. Once we get used to the characteristics of mindfulness, we can easily go back to the root of our actions and behaviors by questioning the concept of intention. Then by focusing on it, we perform actions. We often wonder where our actions come from whenever we feel regret or dissatisfaction with our own actions or of others. In essence, what we want to understand is the intention of that action. Therefore, always remember to observe the intention instead of the action so that we can switch the mind to a higher level of perceiving, almost like being on autopilot. Point 7. As we practice mindfulness, we can develop better concentration and interest in work and life or simply develop a stronger connection to life. This can lead to a better quality of life. One of the secrets that mindfulness can teach us is the flow, a state of integration, a state of being oneself, but at the same time being something bigger than oneself. This is a concept introduced by Dr. Sykes-Dent Mihaly entitled The Theory of Flow. He observed the state of flow for many years and carried out many experiments before coming to the conclusion that work efficiency reaches its highest level when the human mind is well maintained in the state of flow. And when getting into the state of flow, humans actually experience the concept of happiness. However, the way to enter and maintain the state of flow is exactly his major contribution. He also proposed that the state of flow could only be accessible when we achieve two things at the same time, a challenge and a capacity to deal with that challenge. 
As we all know, a challenge is always present, but the capacity to manage that challenge requires that we have the ability to perceive ourselves, the situation, the discernment and the emotions accordingly. Having said all that, this all depends on the mind and the perception of reality as mentioned earlier. Therefore, with enough practice, we should be able to get in and out of the state of flow more easily. Additionally, and similar to the flow, we are able to enter a state deep work, a state found within us when working diligently and efficiently. Deep work not only shows the importance of working with a high level of performance, but also shows the creativity of people. By applying deep work, people immerse themselves in a flow of consciousness, having greater creativity and bringing more true values to life while becoming more satisfied with themselves. When intelligent people come up with new inventions that we admire, it's often due to a deep work ability. In other words, they create things from ideas and intentions which stand the test of time. Point 8. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a principal aspect that requires our attention, besides work, obligations and responsibility for ourselves, family or community, is mental health. Especially when facing such a crisis as this, in situations where we anticipate nothing is more scary and unnerving. However, what is also scarier is that we break down before challenges or difficulties arise. In fact, COVID-19 is posing a big challenge for all of us, while at the same time, if we are emotionally unstable, our connections with the surrounding environment and society will become more and more tenuous, possibly resulting in widespread fractures. In contrast, if we are healthy, we have a conscious mind and ability to take care of ourselves. We can share love with those around us and maintain our stability to build firmer foundations in order to overcome such crises. During times of working from home, when we are both together and apart, our body and our mind needs to be healthy and clearly perceive reality. When we are strong, we face reality and we live in a mindfulness state to create values from deep desires, from love and from ultimate consciousness. Miss Lung temporarily concludes here by suggesting that it will be safe and sound. Point 9. In lieu of a conclusion, Miss Lung suggests that you refer to a Harvard University study on happiness as a frame of reference for one's quest for happiness and peace. What keeps us healthy and happy as we go through life? The Harvard study of adult development may be the longest study of adult life that's ever been conducted. For 75 years, they've tracked the lives of 724 men, year after year, asking about their work, home lives, health, and of course, asking such questions along the way without knowing how their life stories were going to turn out. Studies like this are exceedingly rare. Almost all projects of this kind fall apart within a decade because too many people drop out of the study or funding for the research dries up or even researchers become distracted, even die and nobody moves the ball further down the field. However, through a combination of luck and persistence of several generations of researchers, this study survived. In all, about 60 of the original 724 men are still alive today, still participating in the study, with most of them in their 90s. They are now beginning to study more than 2,000 children of these men, with the director of the study being the fourth. Since 1938, they've tracked the lives of two groups of men. 
The first group started in the study when they were sophomores at Harvard College. They all finished college during World War II and then most of them went off to serve in the war. The second group that they followed was a group of boys from Boston's poorest neighborhoods. Boys who were chosen for the study specifically because they were from some of the most troubled and disadvantaged families in Boston in the 1930s. Most lived in squalor and difficult environments and many without hot and cold running water. When they entered the study, all of these teenagers were interviewed. They were given medical exams. The researchers went to their homes and interviewed their parents. Then these teenagers grew up into adults who all entered different walks of life. They became factory workers, lawyers, bricklayers and doctors. One even became the President of the United States. But on a more negative note, some developed alcoholism, a few developed schizophrenia. However, some managed to climb the social ladder from the bottom all the way to the very top, yet some made the journey in the opposite direction. The founders of the study would never, in their wildest dreams, have imagined that we would be standing here today, 75 years later, telling you that the study still continues. Every two years, our patient and dedicated research staff call the men up and ask them if they can send them yet one more set of questions about their lives. Many of the inner city Boston men ask, why do you keep wanting to study me? My life just isn't that interesting. But the Harvard men never ask that question. To get the clearest picture of these lives, they are not just sent questionnaires. They're interviewed in their living rooms. They also get their medical records from their doctors, draw their blood and scan their brains. The researchers talk to their children, videotape them talking to their wives about their deepest concerns until about a decade ago when finally asked the wives if they wanted to join as members of the study. And many of the women said, you know, it's about time. So what did they learn? What are the lessons that came from the tens of thousands of pages of information that were generated from these lives? Well, the lessons aren't about wealth or fame or working harder and harder. The clearest message that was received from this 75-year-old study is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. Period. They learned three big lessons about relationships. The first is that social connections are really good for us and that loneliness kills. It turns out that people who are more socially connected to family, friends and community are happier, more physically healthier and ultimately live longer than people who are less well connected. Additionally, the experience of loneliness turns out to be rather toxic. People who are more isolated than they want to be from others find that they are less happy. Their health declines earlier in midlife. Their brain function begins to decline sooner and they live shorter lives than people who are not so lonely. Further still, the sad fact is that at any given time, more than one in five Americans will report that they're lonely. They now know that you can be lonely in a crowd and you can be lonely in a marriage. Therefore, the second big lesson they learned was that it's not just the number of friends you have and it's not whether or not you're in a committed relationship but it's the quality of your close relationship that matters. It turns out that living in the midst of a conflict is really bad for one's health. High conflict, marriages, for example, without much affection, turn out to be very bad for our health, perhaps worse than getting divorced. 
living in the midst of a good, warm relationship is protective and productive. Once the men had been followed all the way into their 80s, the researchers wanted to look back at them in their midlife and to see if they could predict who was going to grow into a happy, healthy, octogenarian or who wasn't. The third big lesson that was learned about relationships and our health is that good relationships don't just protect our bodies, they protect our brains also. Those positive relationships don't have to be smooth all the time. Some of our octogenarian couples bickered and quarreled with each other day in and day out, but as long as they felt they could really count on each other when the going got tough, those arguments didn't take a toll on their memories. Over those 75 years, their study showed that people who fared the best were the ones who leaned into their relationship more deeply with family, friends and the community. Miss Lung closes with a quote from Mark Twain. More than a century ago, he was looking back on his life and he wrote, There isn't a time so brief is life for bickerings, apologies, heartburnings and callings to account. There is only time for loving but in an instant, so to speak, for just that. A good life is built with good relationships. From everyone at Densu Reda Impact Academy and Miss Lung, we wish you and your family strength and good health during this ongoing pandemic. Thank you for listening. Densu Reda Impact Academy. Wider perspectives, richer souls, better humanity. Be sure to check out the many additional resources that have also been included with this presentation. Again, we thank you for listening.